Garcia, Oracle of Los Angeles, and you are listening to the Oracle Hour on Kechung Radio. And I have a very, very special guest with me today, Wendy C. Ortiz, writer, therapist, Bruja. And hello, welcome, Wendy. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I am a huge fan of yours. I'm a fan of yours as well. Um, well, so, gosh, how do we just jump into this? So, you're a writer, you're author of um, two books and, and a forthcoming book. So, you're author of Excavation, a memoir, and Hollywood Notebook, and the forthcoming Bruja. Yes. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what brought you to writing how how when did you know that you were a writer um you know i wrote my first short story when i was six so in first grade i remember we were asked to write halloween stories and i wrote my first story that i felt like a, a connection to like ah, oh, i can do this i can write stories um so from that point I considered myself a writer. Um, in second grade, I made my first what would now be called a zine. And um, so, yeah, I just, I always 
kind of had that identity for myself from the moment that I wrote that first story. Um, I never questioned it. I just assumed like, yeah, this is who I am. And my friends also, you know, they, they were supportive of that. I was always writing things. I was, I was trying to create, you know, different little stories and poems. And so I've always called myself a writer. You're just a born writer. Yeah, I guess not, you know, I understand not everybody you know, comes to writing that way, but I'm one of those people who started pretty early and knew it early. And and so you've you felt confident. Like a lot of the time I feel like, especially for women, like we feel confident when we're young, like before we hit puberty. Mm-hmm. And then we hit puberty and suddenly the world has other intentions for us or other signifiers for what what is valuable about us. And it's not necessarily our voice our mind our ability to clarify and distinguish the world around us right i always remember being told at least by my parents if not my teachers i always remember being told that i was really intelligent that the things that i did were really smart and good and i that was how i saw myself up until puberty right and then things changed well so let's talk a little bit about um your book excavation and maybe that because I feel like that makes a really good segue Mm -hmm. into that idea of like that for women things often shift when you hit puberty Mm -hmm. even though you might have been considered so smart and brilliant um that suddenly the world has other ideas for you Mm -hmm. and want and wants to see you in a different way than you maybe seen yourself or other people have seen you so let's start by just talking a little bit about what excavation is so excavation is a book that um covers between the ages of 13 to 18, um, when I was 13 in junior high, I met a teacher who was new to our school. He was new to the profession, and he started a sexual relationship with me. Mm. And at 14, you know, this was very exciting and dangerous and felt like it was full of a certain kind of drama that I was attracted to. Um, and we had this relationship like i said until 18 um and so the book itself is about sort of making sense of it from the adult perspective that i have now but also i wanted to show what it was like as the teenager what she was feeling all all of the things that she went through treating it very much like like it was a normal relationship um and also a large part of it is about how this was a person who, you know, he was a, a person obviously with a position of power in my life. He was somebody who was one of my biggest cheerleaders of my writing, would always encourage me to write, but then would also tell me, you can't write about us. So there was this weird paradox in place in our relationship where it was the most exciting thing going on in my life and also you know covered up for a lot of the pain that I was feeling in my family and I had this person who was telling me like all of the things that I wrote were so important he was guiding me towards books he was always asking me and you know trying to to make sure like you're going to college you're going to do this never give this up but at the same time transgressing boundaries with me and telling me that I couldn't write about us and I did the entire time yeah I like that you're a real rebel in that way you just kind of still did what you want it's amazing that you had that presence of mind and sense of self to keep doing the thing that you felt 
was such an imperative to do yes. to write even though someone who was massively influential on you was telling you that you had to keep that a secret yes and I imagine that it could have been I mean even more damaging than it was had you obeyed him in right. that regard right that you were able to yeah I've never actually thought about that avenue like if I had actually paid attention to him and not written anything about it I don't know who I would have become yeah I always think about that in terms of like abuse um particularly abuse of children Mm -hmm. you know because a lot of the time people who haven't experienced that they don't understand exactly how something like that could have such a massive impact on you for the rest of your life yes And I think it's not just about the physical act of what's going on, but all the other things that are around it, like not being able to talk about it or are feeling like it's your fault or that it's been brought on you or that like that you have this massive secret and Mm -hmm. the the way that it makes you relate to other adults or to other kids. It's not just about the singular act of like sexual transgression, but it's all these other things that go along. Absolutely. It, It totally skewed my sense of who I was because in some situations I felt like I had power and then I would go from feeling like I had power to to feeling like oh I'm harboring this really dirty secret about myself what is this and then feeling very like unpowerful Hmm. so it was just kind of going back and forth all the time and then trying to maintain power in other areas of my life where he wasn't Um, and how I would go about doing that based on my relationship with him. And so crazy difficult because you didn't have really anybody to guide you or to navigate you through that in any way because you weren't talking to your parents about it. And obviously your friends didn't know what the fuck to tell you because they were just children. So they didn't, they didn't have that kind of experience and you couldn't talk about it with him, like this mentor support figure, obviously. So you just had to sort of figure it out on I your had own. To, yeah, I looked for books, and, you know, I would just keep coming up with Lolita. That was the only book that spoke anything close to my experience. And not written from, no, not written from the perspective. perspective. <laughs> not written from the perspective of the girl. And so, yeah, I would look for narratives outside of myself because that I was always a big reader, and so I was mm-hmm. always looking for, like, how do I do this? Who else has experienced this? Um, and it really wasn't until like one friend did say to me like are you sure that this is okay like are you gonna be okay Uh, it was the first time a peer had you know questioned what was happening and wondered if there would be some kind of lasting impact and I just you know I didn't pay much attention to it at the time but of course it stayed with me and it became something that I thought of over and over again as I got older like oh there was somebody who like who was my age who was like I'm not sure that this is okay whereas you know my other friends peers were kind of like everybody was a little bit titillated by it um but also yeah I mean I I identify with that I remember like when I was that age like 13 to 15 like the 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 way that I first had sex like was with a horrible person it was ridiculous I mean it was beyond ridiculous but I I I didn't tell him that I was a virgin because I was so embarrassed because I thought everybody else was having sex like it seemed so like I didn't know yeah 
what the fuck was going on and and I thought everybody else did so I mean I imagine with your friends they probably saw you as being very mature and like glamorous right because you weren't doing this thing because they had so little experience as well right and yeah and I and I did try to tell like one adult when I was about 16 or 17 who was like a, a social worker for my insurance but in that first five minutes when a, a counselor has to tell you, here are the situations in which I would be mandated to report. Um, and she told me, you know, if you, she, she told me, she laid it all out, all the things that I have to lay out as a therapist right. to new clients. And I understood from her that if I told her about my situation, he might get caught. Yeah. And at 16 or 17, when I went to her, I just wasn't ready for that to happen. I wasn't ready for what was happening to end. That wasn't the ending that I saw at the time. So I never went back to her and I didn't reveal to her what was happening. Yeah. I mean, that just going back to like one of the other reasons why that kind of abuse is so devastating is because you become responsible for this other person's happiness and they're they're like fucking up their life so majorly and your life obviously too but like but you become responsible right for maintaining their for like preventing them from experiencing the consequences of their actions yes whereas you nobody's preventing you from experiencing the consequences of their actions like you have to experience those for the rest of your life exactly It's what was really interesting to me about the book. Well, one of the many things that was very interesting was how he didn't see how that you were not a woman. Like he 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 treated you like you were an adult, and to me that's just always so baffling. Because in the book you talk about working that you two now work with young people and I've had a lot of teaching experience as well and like even in their early 20s mm-hmm. kids like they look like adults yes you know like people in their early 20s they look like adults and often act like them mm-hmm. sometimes you know but then they just do things that you're like oh my goodness like right. you have no idea you you right. don't have the experience and yet he he always treated you as if you did. At least that's the impression that I got. And it was a similar narrative to what I was hearing from other adults in my life. As a, I was an only child, um, my parents were not social at all. I, I mean, we were all very isolated, like isolated in our bedrooms in our house. Hmm. Um, but I was an extreme reader. And I feel like that, along with going to the school that I went to and being treated the way that I was treated by like teachers at the schools like you are precocious Mm. you are very intelligent um you can you can find your way among adults like you know it was just a given and so I felt adult I felt older than my peers constantly before this situation I always felt like I was older and so it was a narrative that felt comfortable to me like okay yes I will behave like an adult as much as possible I'm going to learn the things that I read in books that I see in television that I see in movies how to be a woman Hmm. in a situation like this where there's like danger there's something there's something secretive going on I will behave this way and yet it's so hard even as a grown woman to know what the fuck to do in relationships and they're so difficult to navigate and so nuanced 
it's just so hard to imagine like a young person being able to swim at all in such a sort of tempestuous sea and yet you did it yeah wow well so you know in in the book I feel like you stay very much in the present tense even though you do sort of switch like there are moments where you talk about your experience now and like reflecting on that experience but for the most part you tend to sort of stay in in the voice of you know Wendy 13 yeah through 18 mm-hmm. um and I was very much wondering sort of by the end of the book like I didn't like I felt like you sort of let the reader interpret based on the information that you gave them but I was very I was wondering like you never say like this was a really bad thing for him to do like you know what's your perspective on it now like do you are you angry at him do you have you do you want to confront him you know I've gone through so many gradations of feeling since it happened and I have to say that I first really started to process it in a real way when I started therapy at 23 years old and I did not go into therapy thinking this is what I'm going to talk about I was going into therapy to talk about how to break up with my boyfriend at the time this came out in the therapy and my therapist was like wait a second need to stop here and this is where there's something here to talk about (laughs) (laughs) let's not just breeze over it was like oh yeah okay that of course we'll talk about that and then you know that took me on a many years long journey of processing because at that time did you know that that did you know how wildly and deeply inappropriate that was yes and I and I had a sense that it was affecting my relationships and the way that I would often deal with it was like with a new boyfriend I would tell them yeah. as upfront as possible like here's what happened but that like immediately as someone who's been there mm-hmm. that immediately fucks up your relationships because yeah. the dude can't handle it and right. he's like oh she's so experienced and she's so damaged right and like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing yeah she's gonna think that i'm it's very confusing for them yeah <laughs> um and so i had a sense that something was very wrong about the situation while i was in it afterwards But it didn't really begin to hit me until I started becoming a young adult. And especially like once I hit the age that he was when we first met, he was 28. Right. Then it was like trying, you know, looking at myself as a 28 year old. 13 year old. And just going, what in the world? Like how, I can't even, I can't even imagine this, you know, like there's just nothing here. Right. I can't, I, I just can't. But, um, I always had a sense that something was not right about it. I've gone through different kinds, different degrees of like anger and wanting to confront, but a lot of that is really old. I haven't felt that in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it ended when I was 18, I'm 43 now. Mm -hmm. um, And I would say like the heaviest processing I did about this was 23 to 28. And then from 28 to 40, just like trying to put together this book, right? um, which so it took you like it. 12 years to write the book yeah I mean that's I started, gratifying to hear I started, someone who's taking so long. yeah no I'm a sl- I'm slow and I you know I'm just slow and you know here's to all the slow writers it's thank just, you yeah. amen <laughs> yeah it's like I, 
I started writing it in 2000 from a certain perspective, and then that perspective also shifted right. as I got older. And I'm sure it'll, you know, change again in some way, not in probably huge ways, but in some small ways. I did the majority of the processing between 23 and 28, and then it was like writing the book. I had to sort of reprocess it in a different way. Mm. And now, so your partner now is a woman. Yes. Do you feel like she, like, go processing through this stuff in this relationship or like when you met her and I'm sure told her about Mm -hmm. this experience Mm -hmm. do you feel like it was different from the way that you worked through it with the men in your life you know not terribly because my partner is someone who doesn't totally identify as a woman right and so I think that and it's like when we talk about things that are specific somehow to this like monolithic idea of what a woman is she cannot relate right so um i think that it's it was still perplexing to her um her experiences are extremely different from mine um and so i think it was still hard information for her to integrate and um yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's something. It's funny because when she read the book, she didn't. I don't even know that she read it before anybody else did. I think I might have given it to her after some other people had read it, and it was the first time that she was going to read about like the whole experience. Mm. Um, the whole experience being what's in the book. Obviously, there are other experiences right. that are not in the book yeah. that are related. But um, I think that you know we never really talked deeply about what how it impacted her it's just a part of who I am and who how I move in the world now Mm. um yeah I don't know but so are you like going back to this a little bit like are you angry at him like are you do you like have you wanted to tell him like do you are you concerned that he's still out there doing this so what I know um and what I've done since all of this happened um is for many years I didn't find out anything about him. I wouldn't really look. And also, this was before the internet. Right. So for a few years, like I would just occasionally hear like second or third hand information about him. And one of the first things that I heard was that he had been arrested in a situation very similar to ours and that um, he was on the sex offender registry. And so back when I was told that, you there was not Megan's law was not in place and that's that's like basically now there's a database where I could just go online and look up his his picture his registration but back then I would have had to go to a police department given them a reason why I wanted to look at the registry given them my identification and then search the registry for Mm -hmm. him and I wasn't emotionally prepared to do that at all so a few years after that with Megan's Law, then I was able to just go online. And by that point, you know, everybody was online. And so it was like, oh, I could go and check myself. And so I have a sense of where he is because he's still on the registry and his address, his last known address always has to be posted. I haven't personally looked at it in a long time. My partner looked at it recently. And so she was able to tell me where he is. But prior to where he is now, he had actually been in the area in Los Angeles, um, living in the pla- like living in the same city where he had lived when we first met, and I did have moments of like, wow, 
could I run into him? Would he like show up at a reading or what could happen? Does he know, do you think, about your book? I have to imagine that he does know. And the reason I think that is because I've had other teachers from my past reach out to me who were teachers like around the same time to tell me, oh my gosh, I found out about your book. Wow. Could you imagine being a teacher like, and like, cause now, you know, you are teaching, you do do things like that and finding out that one of your colleagues. Oh my God. That you like had lunch with every day and like saw, cause in the book, you're so often alone with him in inappropriate situations, like in this classroom yes. or like that he's going over to your house. Or There's that time where like you went with him to a graduation yes. of some other kid. Like, first of all, I, it's just so crazy to think that a teacher of like a junior high student would go to that graduation right. thing. Like what? Right. Like I, if I were that kid's parent, I'd be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And that you went out with this family afterwards with yes. him. And so they, weird. all of you together, like you guys were on a date and did, they never said like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? They welcomed, it was like they welcomed me into their family and then the father tried to set me up with his son who was very close to my age. But did they do that because they were like, possibly, did, I mean, they but, could have but they did had an awareness. I mean, I don't understand. Well, this is the thing. I mean, this is this is how denial works, right? It's like you see something and you might have an instinct about it, but then it's like, you decide for whatever reason unconsciously or consciously I cannot deal with this information right now and these were people that I wasn't close to and like he kind of inserted me into the situation because he needed a car to get to this thing so he was using my car yeah, he just so missed you on so many home. levels oh yes yes like but do you think and this is like getting into quite tricky territory but do you think that he genuinely cared about you or do you think that he just wasn't really capable of thinking outside of his own I mean I guess it's true of Lolita like from a literary perspective did he really care about her I mean I think he didn't I don't think he was capable of it Uh like I think he was just in his own world about it yes but I know but I think he thought he did exactly and so being in your own world about it you can make yourself believe whatever you like so when he got to the point where he was telling me that he loved me and it, it was too late for me. It was like, oh, these are the, this is what I've wanted for so long, and now you're finally doing it when I'm kind of on my way out of the situation because I'm starting to see like that this isn't equal, that there's yeah. something really off here. Yeah. Um, I think that he had to delude himself on many levels in order to continue the relationship. So he might have believed that he actually was in love with me, um, and I certainly wanted to believe that because it suited my purposes as well. Yeah, but not knowing really what it means. Mm-mm. I think Bell Hooks talks, I've been thinking about this so much lately, about Bell, Bell Hooks talks about like what love is and how love is an action. It's not like a state of being. It doesn't matter whether or not you feel love towards someone or you think that you do. It matters how you treat them and, yeah. and in what way you relate to them and whether or not you fuck their lives up majorly. Right. Like, that's what tells you whether or not you love right. someone. Treating someone with love is not just having passionate feelings towards yes. them. So good to remember. Yeah. Well, gosh. Um, I think, like, that's kind of intense. So I think we're going to go to a song. And then um, when we come back, we'll talk about your next book that's okay. coming up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
back again uh, with Wendy Ortiz, Wendy C. Ortiz. This is Amanda Yates Garcia, Oracle of Los Angeles, and we are talking writing and abuse, <laughs> and now we're going to talk about stuff. witches, yeah. all the heavy stuff. Um, okay, so you wrote this book, kind of a follow-up excavation to excavation Hollywood Notebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of cataloged your 20s, right, in, in Hollywood. And then, now you have a new one coming out. Yes. And it is called... Bruja. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me about this one. What's going on with that? So this is a book that um, we're calling a dream war. And the reason why it's a dream war and not a memoir is because... It's composed of many dreams that I had during the same period of time, basically, that I was writing the text that would become Hollywood Notebook. So I've always looked at this text as this was the alternate reality. This was the dreamscape that I was living in at night that was composed of many of the same you know, characters, the same people. Um, the same situations or places that I was feeling a little obsessed by. They would show up in my dreams, and it very much felt like its own life. And I wanted to approach it that way, like it's a narrative of the life that I have at night when I'm sleeping. Um, so it's a dream war. It's, you know, it's, it's very strange, I will say. Like, it's definitely the strangest of my books. Um, you know, it could definitely be called fiction because obviously these things did not occur in the reality that we're aware of, that we, you know, walk in and call real life, but it happened. You have a lot of animal familiars in these dreams. Yes, yes. There's a lot of cats and a lot of alligators. Yes, there are tons, yes. What do you think those little guys are about? You know, it's funny because I actually did a, um, a research paper um, when I was doing graduate work um, in psychology. I took a dream course that was like a weekend course. And it was like, take one of a, a recurring, you know, image in your dreams and, and just start, just start working with it, play with it, see where you go with it. So I can't say that I found what exactly like the alligators mean, but I started to come up with a narrative around like what they could mean and it, it was like I was looking at the alligator in Peter Pan I have all these weird connections to Peter Pan not just my name but I mean it was the first place that the name Wendy showed up in a book so you know it has some weird meaning I've had like friendships weird strong friendships with families with three boys I mean just strange coincidences that my whole life I've always had like an affinity for the story hmm. Um, and so I was taking the alligator that was in the cartoon of, of, of um, Peter Pan and just kind of riffing on the idea of what that, what it signified and like how these alligators show up in my dreams. And, you know, they're, they're always the frightening creature that I see them as. I mean, I, I'm like totally into the idea of alligators and crocodiles because they're just, they look like the prehistoric things that they are. They look like dragons. They look like they look like they've been here for thousands of years. They look like they're ancient. They, yes. And you know, here they are. And they're we have to like integrate them into our lives and, you know, we live together. We have to live together. So 
I'm always really into stories that I see about them. And um, yeah, it's just like one of those animals that I'm always intrigued by. Mm, That's so interesting to me because, I mean, I have so many thoughts about that. First of all, in thinking about the alligator in um, Peter Pan, the alligator was not the enemy of Peter Pan. It was the, it bit off Captain Hook's hand. Yes. And so it, it kind of, it was the sort of catalyst for Doctor, for Captain Hook to become the bad uh-huh. guy, right? Uh-huh. Kind of the white whale. Interesting, yes. Also, though, like, I have a connection to alligators that I had an imaginary friend who was an alligator when I was a child. Whoa. And it featured prominently throughout my childhood. And his name was Weezer. And... I, I had really bad asthma as a child, and so kids, so my parents would always be like, you're wheezing, you're wheezing, you're wheezing. And I then, as an adult, have always thought that it was really interesting that I had this imaginary friend who I, I said protected me, and I named it mm-hmm. after the thing that, in a way, was persecuting me. Like, yes. asthma often is triggered by anxiety mm-hmm. and stuff, so I wonder if there's some there's some sort of protective primordial uh-huh. quality of the alligator. Also, I think of, like, Egyptian or Kemetic mythology. Mm-hmm. I think the alligator, there's, like, an alligator goddess, yeah, isn't it? I don't know. Like, the, you, I feel her kind of coming up from the Nile or wow. out of rivers and she has this big white mouth, right? Like mm-hmm. the alligators like sitting with their mouths uh-huh. wide open. But also in terms of the like the Peter Pan thing and just sort of connecting it back to um, excavation a little bit, like I see oftentimes like people who abuse children as having that sort of Peter Pan quality yes. of like not wanting to grow up, not having an adult For sexuality. Sure. For sure. And so I wonder if maybe there's some connection there, too. Possibly. Yeah. There were so many animals that would show up in these dreams. And yes, cats. I mean, cats are always a part of my life. The cat Um, on the bus. And there's... (laughs) Yeah, it was like, I'm always, like, losing cats or counting cats. And, you know, if you look at a lot of... I mean, dream interpretation books are not... They're not books that I use typically because you have to... No, it it has to be, like, a more personal connection to what, you know, you, you look at the animal and you write out all of the different associations that you have with it. Personally yes. have. Yeah, of course. So, you know, but in a dream in an average dream interpretation book, cats are sexuality. And, you know, on the surface you could like look at, at Bruja and especially because it was written around the same time as Hollywood Notebook and a lot of the same themes are presented just in a warped way um, in Bruja. It's like all of this struggle around sexuality and like how to control it in some way. Yeah, well, so with the, with the alligators, like, when I think of alligators, too, though, like, I see the connection with cats and sexuality, obviously, like, that's a major trope, but I think of, like, the skin, like, alligator skin, mm-hmm. right? Like, alligator skin boots and, like, the leatheriness of the skin and that protective quality of the skin, and then I'm, like, connecting it to astrology and how... The skin is ruled by Capricorn, and I think of Capricorn, you know, as like a Saturnine energy, so that's very much about like borders and boundaries and restriction Mm -hmm. and like transgression in a way, or like 
And so there's all those interesting, interesting c- connections there. Yeah, I haven't looked at any of these dreams through those lenses in a while. Even as I was editing what would become this book, you know, I, I had to take out a bunch of dreams, first of all, because I just, I needed to have some sort of like... Through line. Yeah, there needed to be a through line that, that would maybe make sense to someone other than me. Right. So... But, like, there's also skunks. Like, that's another one. I mean, I was living in an area where I always smelled skunks, so that could be part of it. They were wafting in. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I could take each of those animals or each of, like, the the different natural um, disasters that happen in dreams, which a lot of people have, like the tsunamis and the floods and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, if I were able to just, like, you know, riff on every single one of them, I could probably find the connections between what was happening in my life at that time and um then what was happening in my dream life oh yeah and on many levels like I've done some dream workshops um with this guy Jeremy Taylor and he says that on that every dream is speaking to you on three levels it's speaking to you on a physical level so it's telling you what's going on with your body physically Mm. it's a commentary on that or like a kind of diagnostic and then there's like the personal level Mm -hmm. um so what's going on sort of within your psyche and then there's the sort of meta personal or the 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 collective unconscious Uh level so it's also always talking about what's going on with the world on a larger level so in a way we're dreaming for the earth for the anima mundi in a way yeah there was a yeah there was a dream that i had left out of the book that felt like it was the first time that I had a dream where I was able to look at it a few weeks later and go oh this is collective unconscious stuff that I didn't even realize I had total access to in this particular way and it was very frightening um what was it it was basically um a few weeks before 9-11 and I had a dream with a bunch of images that included an airplane crashing into a mountain and then being able to see like a magnified view of people in distress people with guns and I brought it to work and I told friends at work and so when when 9-11 happened and I went to work I mentioned my dream once, like, oh my gosh, I feel like I saw these images. One of my coworkers said, don't talk about it. Just don't. Because they remembered me telling them, and it was too much for them. And I, at that point, I was like, oh, it freaked them I, out. Yeah, then it was, and it was freaky to me too, because I had never seen, I never had connected my dreams before to something like the collective unconscious. It was still a new idea Thank to you. me. And it, it was a little frightening. Well, because I, I remember reading that Carl Jung had a dream like three months or something before w- World War One started oh. that like he saw this like river or this ocean, this tidal wave of blood oh. like coming across the countries of like northern Europe. Oh. And wow. so I think, I mean, it's clear to me like the, the dream work that I've done it clearly there is a connection between people's collective self-conscious you know the yeah. collective subconscious of all people on earth to the earth itself like it does it just doesn't take very much right. witnessing to see it to at, see it at the time i think that i was looking at it as like i had somehow gained access to a frequency that i either 
had never known about before or didn't have access to before for whatever reason was finally ready for or I don't know it was weird and my coworkers who I had told the dream to when we could talk about the fact that I had that dream and the timing of it they attributed it to you're going through a really intense dramatic time and I was Hmm. the weeks leading up to 9-11 I had made the decision to leave Olympia where I had lived for eight years break up with my boyfriend of five years start a new life back in Los Angeles and I was a mess so they attributed it to oh you're going through a really stressful time this is why you would dream this but it's both in exactly and it wasn't until later that I was like wait a minute it's more than that and also they should have known because you're a bro (laughs) yeah and for a long time that is not how I saw myself like I felt like there was something but I didn't know what to name it or how to characterize it for other people or if I needed to well so let's talk a little bit about the name of this book Mm -hmm. like how did you come up with it so the name of this book is um it's a little complicated it's some it's named that that came up with a with another writer who kind of helped me come up with the name for it because it was hard to name this book with any one word and it was something that it was an identifier for me that I was feeling like I was coming into more and more and then it felt like a totally appropriate name for the book and in fact a perfect one I think that my the way that I look at this book my perspective on like why anybody would want to read this book is sort of like we don't get to we don't get this kind of access to someone's subconscious I want it I look for it in books Mm. and sometimes I find it whether or not I think the writer was totally conscious of it I want to see more conscious writing about this Um, the idea that to me a bruja can live in different realities at the same time Mm. and this is one way that one does it and it's you know this is the very simple you know dream life waking life two different lives she navigates both of them yeah well so what is your experience with bruharia do you like was that part of your experience growing up or is it part of your cultural inheritance or is it just something you're fascinated by or it's i would say that like my my grandmother and my mother would never call themselves brujas because they're both very catholic right well my my grandmother started out catholic and then like branched off into her own like from what i've gathered there was some pentecostal like she really went away from the catholic church and raised my mother away from the catholic church so it was like this weird christianity that was it was not catholic like she was against all the things that christians who are against like catholic icons things like that she went way off in that so she she didn't like worship the saints or no 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 she thought that was she moved away from that yeah she moved far far away from that and she had a very specific like i feel like she almost just invented it for herself because and then she tried to pass it on to me so it was this really weird like she read the bible every day she read it in spanish she read the bible every day she made sure that i had a bible 
she loved to tell me about the book of revelation um, and i got super into the images from from that book um and i she would enjoy talking about um how satan lives in this world and you know like you have to be careful all the time he lives in people they show up um it was it was frightening but what's your perspective on that now because i have some theories about that myself i feel like my perspective on it now is that everyone is complicated and capable of anything and it's not satan i think that there are um i think that there are different energies at work all the time and sometimes you're in the I'm going to say, like, right with quotation marks because I don't mean, like, it's right as in perfect. But Mm. it's like you can be in the right place and have the right conditions for really fucked up things to happen. And um, that can be tragic and also the opposite. You know, it can be joyful. It can be something different. We all have the capacity. And I think that's also what I was trying to get through in excavation is that this person who was, yes, an abuser, yes, a perpetrator, although I don't use those words in the book. This person also had all of these good qualities. He was very complicated. People loved him. They did not know what was going on underneath all of that. Um, He did do good things from time to time. He was not a villain, like a complete, you know, a villain is somebody who's like, there is no good in this person at all. Mm -hmm. And that's very dangerous, that idea. That's why there's so few convictions of abusers, because we think, oh, if you're an abuser, then you're just a bad person, like yeah. throw, lock you away and throw away the key. But that's, it's just not that easy. No. Like you're also probably a really good person who's really fun to hang out with, who right. does really nice things for your family, who like brings the granny next door like bags of groceries. Yeah. And so it's just not... He's a per... Like, he's a person who struggled with his own issues. I mean, I, I also became privy later to other second and third hand information about how he had been sexually abused. And so it was like, yeah, of course this stuff doesn't just happen like out of nowhere, you know? So, so my perspective on it now, it's like, you know, I look at how my grandmother was and how it was really important for her to have some weird like dichotomy of good and evil and to put herself on the good side and to put like whomever she felt like on the bad side and then try to you know make me believe that this was true as well um luckily my mother sort of ran interference i didn't go to church like i I went to church a handful of times as a kid and i ended up in catholic high school just as a fluke (laughs) but over time i understood for myself that i had a certain kind of i had a spirituality I didn't subscribe to any particular religion, but I knew early on that I had a spirituality. But there are some roots in some of this like weird religious stuff that they tried to put on me. Mm. There's still some like, you know, I still find attraction to like Catholic iconography. My father was also raised Catholic, but when I went to Catholic high school, he, he'd been an atheist for so many years at that point when I asked him, what is the Hail Mary? Like, how do you say it? He couldn't remember anymore how to say it. And it was something that he, you know, said who knows how many times wrote as a child. So I didn't have that influence as much, but I was aware that my grandmother and my mother both put a lot of stock into dreams. They talked about 
experiences that they had with the supernatural. My grandmother was also really into um, saying things to me like, you know, if a UFO landed on my street tonight, I would try and go with it. I would get on it. And I was open. I was so open to all of this. Like anything supernatural I was attracted to from a very young age. Anything that felt like it was not just of this world. And I still feel that way. Like I don't believe that, I mean, you. somebody can't tell me like, this doesn't exist because they can't see it. Like, no. It, it can exist. It can still exist. You, There's no authority here. Well, I think that for me, that's what magic really gets at is kind of undermining the sort of authorities of rationalism. Who, like the people who are saying, who have sort of dominated, the cultural dominators yeah. that have said, this is rational and this isn't. Like we're on the right. side of rationality and you're not. And it's like, why, why are you the ones, the oppressors, always the ones right. who are on the side of rationality and right. everybody else... It's just wrong and confused. Right. Like I, like, I find myself sometimes, like, I'll be doing something. Like, I'll be hiking, and it'll hit me, like, not to make women, like, not to make it an essentialist argument, but the fact that women could potentially make new lives in their bodies and how fucking insane that is and how crazy that is. Like, it's, it's profound and it's mundane at the same time. I love it. And I think to myself, oh, my God. Like, we have this power, and yet they're telling us that it's a male god? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what kind of mind fuck is that? Yeah. It's like the biggest form of denial of everything. Like, he, like a male god? And that's it? Uh, yeah, no. also, like, without, like, without any female no. help, really. <laughs> it's just completely. And then I, and then I, and then I laugh, because I'm just like... This is outrageous. Like, this is how powerful and dangerous we are that this story has to be created. And that we can believe things with such conviction. Right. Like, my, grandmother, no would, my grandmother would totally believe, yes, male God, one mm. Jesus. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that is really crazy. But so, so, do you practice magic now, or what's your relationship like to magic or witchcraft at the moment? So I always feel like I'm constantly like wanting to learn and apprentice. Like for years, I really thought that I was going to apprentice with an astrologer because that I like I would keep notebooks. I would like I have I actually just recently emptied out a binder of all of this old stuff from like the mountain astrologer that I would collect over the years. Mm. Um, I feel like and that's related to me. I feel like I'm constantly in a learning phase. I'm always open. I feel like nobody can tell me that something doesn't exist or doesn't really happen, doesn't occur. Like, I'm open to it. But I'm a learner here. I would never call myself, like, a person of authority on these things. Um, I think of somebody like you, and I'm, like, immediately attracted to, like, wanting to learn from you. You know, like, what? (laughs) And it's, and, like, that's how I go about it. I feel like the fact of being as open as I can be to whatever possibilities there are is its own magic. Um, And I always think, you know, magic is like, yeah, there has to, you have to have a willingness and an openness for anything to happen. And that's what I want to cultivate in my life all the time. So it's not like a, there's not a, a particular ritual or 
I mean, over the years, I've done many different types of rituals, but it, it's never been like a, a structure or a, or even happening like in a regular, in some kind of regular um, schedule or anything like that. It's just like, I just try to remember that it exists every day and be open to it. Do you think that therapy might be a kind of magic? I think it can be for sure. It's so, it's always so funny to talk about therapy because I know people have like such specific ideas based on their own experience or what they see on TV. And like, I personally know what it's like to have magic in the I just want to say that she is, I, if I haven't said this already, that you are also a therapist. Yes. And you've been a therapist. You, you're just getting your license. But I'm you have in the process of getting my license. And How many hours more do you have? I don't have any more hours. I just have to actually like sit down the exam. Yeah. And that's, right. yeah. Um, so you've done 3,000 I've therapy. done over 3,000 hours. Yeah. It's been a so long haul. So I've been seeing clients for six years. Gosh. Becoming a therapist is such hard it's work. It's huge. It's huge. And it's so, like, I have to say that I never saw myself as somebody, like, having a career or, like, having some kind of career track. That was never how I saw myself. I love this work. Yeah. Like, this totally is the kind of work I want to do until I'm very, very old. And thank goodness it's the kind of profession where you are more respected and well regarded yeah. the older you get yeah and and also that your experiences yeah. are an asset yes like all of yes. the shamanic journeys into the underworld that you've been abducted into yes. and found your way back out again can yes. only help you in your work totally with your totally but so how do you think that therapy might be a form of magic like like what's the transformative process of a therapeutic is it the relationship, or why does, why, why is it healing? You know, it's, it, it's kind of hard to sp- come at this question from the perspective of the therapist because I think it really yes, it's going to depend on the person sitting across from me, like how open they are to this kind of experience, like how willing are they to do work outside of this room to take what we're talking about and like think on it more and you know because sometimes therapy is like I'm only going to come in for this hour and talk about all this stuff and then I'm going to go back out there and I'm not going to think about this until the I come back thing. right right but I know that from my own experience with therapy like I was with the same therapist for about 11 or 12 years uh, my first therapist and because Even after you left Olympia? Yeah, we did phone sessions. Wow, you must have really liked her. Yeah, and she, I mean, she was a person who believes in magic. She's mm-hmm. a person who believed in possibility and really opened my mind a lot, um, like pushing me, challenging me to think bigger than I had been thinking. That what, like, the things I imagined for myself were, like, very small, and then she helped me make them bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, and it did have a lot to do with the relationship, which means that, like, sometimes I didn't like her. <laughs> sometimes I was annoyed by her, and I didn't want to see her. And that's But I stuck in it, and that was part of the whole thing. Like, So that relationship, and then certainly when I went into Jungian analysis, that's its own bizarre interesting well, kind of therapy i was impressed that you can remember all your dreams and you was like did you just write like write I them down write as them soon all. as you yeah. woke up yeah i used to be much more disciplined about it for many years like i still have dream notebooks from before the time of uh the text that bruja was written so i have like tons of dream journals you just write everything down I always write everything down <laughs> i'm like a recorder yeah i'm constantly <laughs> recording 
Well, so we have come to the end of our hour together, oh, wow. and sad to say. But so where, when, when, so you're releasing, you're launching yes. this book. Yes, Perhaps. yes. And I'm so excited that you're going to be a part I'm of this. I'm so excited to be at that launch. So when can people see this and when can they come buy this amazing book sunday november 6th is the official book launch at skylight books in los angeles scorpio baby yes with a scorpio moon yeah yeah i looked that up um but it actually it actually comes out october 31st that's the scorpio with a scorpio moon Yeah. yeah Um, and so a week later, basically, we're having the book launch, and there's going to be special guests who will read Skylight book. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also, it's going to be a couple of days before the election. So this is, I think, we're all going to need to put to like, some witchy magic into yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to need to shake some of to that some off nature. a little bit. So it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting night. I want to ask people to come to the book launch to dress as some character from one of their dreams. Fabulous! I'm going to have to think about that. I'm going to come dress as an alligator. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Wendy. Thank you for having me. It's been so great to have you. Oh, my God.